Welcome to Well Actually, a new podcast brought to you from DW Studio in Bonn, Germany. I'm Elizabeth Schumacher. And I'm Mara Bierbach. Each episode will bring you stories from Europe and around the globe that go against the grain. Beth, what do you think of when I say church and state? Well, Google tells me it's the name of a place to get nice blended white wines in Victoria, Canada, but that's usually not the first thing you think of. What is the first thing you think of? Well, the term that pops into my head is, of course, the separation of church and state. Growing up in the U.S., I was taught as part of our national bedtime story that the Founding Fathers wanted to be different from European monarchies that dictated which branch of Christianity all the people had to belong to. When I moved to Germany, it looked like people here felt the same way, right? Yeah, pretty much. Um, going to school here, when we talked about the Middle Ages in history class, for example, that was something we talked about a lot, how toxic it was that the churches were all-powerful, basically. So that was something that was driven home to us again and again, that churches need to be kept separate from the state in order for democracies to work. That's a pretty common assumption, right? That in democratic countries, there's a clear line between the machinery of government and the practice of religion? Yeah, that doesn't mean, of course, that politicians don't use their religious affiliation to win votes. Governor Bush, a philosopher thinker, and why? Uh, Christ, because he changed my heart. I believe in God. Thanks for the prayer. Amen. Thank you. And our Christian heritage is something we can all be proud of. Lass uns doch mal über das Christentum wieder reden. Lass uns das doch mal mit fröhlichem Herzen verkünden. What's my first favorite book? The Bible. But generally, European democracies are places where the state shouldn't have anything to do with your private beliefs. Take Germany, for example. Article 4 of the Constitution says that people should be free to practice any religion they choose or no religion at all. So the government shouldn't in any way, shape, or form endorse or support churches, right? Well, actually... Actually... It's not that simple. That's what reporter Joel Dolroy is here to talk to us about. Hi, Joel. Hi, guys. How you doing? Joel, you've brought us a story that tells us something about the connection between the state and the church. I've met a man whose story shows how the state is still very much entwined with the church and in a way that can affect your bank balance, your tax return, and even the conversations you have with your family. I, I want to leave the church, but I, I'm... Afraid, however, because I have many problems in my family already with my mother and with, with her faith, and um, we have a very difficult uh, relationship. And I know uh, when I do the next step, when I'm leaving the church, this will double the, uh, the trouble um, for sure. And I don't know if I have the power or even my, my mother uh, to to live this next step. Let me back up a bit and introduce you to this man. Or rather, let's let him introduce himself. Uh, do, do you want to be named or do you want to come up, do you want to make a fake name? Maybe fake name. So what's your favorite fake name? Whatever, you could uh, choose one. Paul, Peter, pa Lucas. Lucas. I'm saying the name of the saints if you... Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure that I have a name of the saints uh, because they take care of me. That's for sure. So my name is Lukas Schmidt. Lukas is in his late 30s. He grew up in the west of Germany and now he works and lives in Neukölln, Berlin. Lukas lives in the same building as his partner, two floors up, and they're right next door to a church, actually. He grew up going to a Catholic church 
and he still has pretty fond memories of that time. What do you remember about going to church? I was a child, and my mother always uh, took all their children to church every second Sunday because she was part of a very um, modern way of living the belief. And um, it was a little group where they practiced in a modern way being Christian. What, what did that involve? <clears throat> it was not in a normal church. They met each other as the first Christian groups used to, to meet themselves. So the priest wasn't somebody big. It was just part of the group. Um, at the very end of the service, they always offered food and they ate and drink together and um, it was very nice. As a little child, I really fell in love with Jesus, I can say, because I was really touched by uh, his story and by being um, crucified. Till, till these days, I think that Jesus and uh, the movement of, uh, of, the, of the early Christians had been something good, also something good to the world. And um, Jesus here was really... Uh, um, interesting, clever uh, uh, person. Um, he also teached a lot of values uh, which influenced the humanity and um, also our way of living here in Europe. So um, you should uh, really pay a lot of attention to this uh, movement and um, there's a lot of good things into it. Although the family attended an alternative Catholic church with different procedures and fewer rules than a traditional church, there were some things that were still not accepted. And at some point for Lucas, things started to change. Well, when I was a teenager, I already felt uncomfortable in church. And I knew more and more that I'm homosexual. And um, so I lived kind of a double life. So officially, I was the the nice Christian uh, guy. And on the other, uh, other hand, I was homosexual and I had my first experiences and um, step by step I started um, meaning my own life and um, this wasn't uh, compatible anymore with uh, church, with going to church, to services. I was contra. Joel, I understand that being part of the LGBT community can complicate your connection to the church, but what does that have to do with the church and the state? Well, it's all got to do with taxation and a very specific kind of taxation at that. You see, the state actually collects a tax on behalf of the church. Now, Lucas lives in Germany, but it also happens in other European countries. So I spoke to Martin Gack. He's the religious affairs correspondent for DW. We did this interview over the phone. Martin was in his office in Berlin, which he happens to share with some uh, rather noisy co-workers. Keep it down, guys. There uh Church taxes in several countries in Europe. I mean, there are actually uh, nine countries, I believe, in Europe or so that actually have church taxes, including Italy, including Croatia, I believe, Austria. But what is quite interesting is that countries like Sweden, actually, and Finland and Denmark, uh, Denmark being sort of the country with uh, the highest uh, incidence of, of secularization in Europe, actually has uh, a church, a church tax uh, as well. These are not countries that one would think, uh, you know, have a very strong uh, religious impingement on civil liberties or uh, on policy. 
So the amount you have to pay varies between the different countries, but it's generally between one to two percent of your income. Now that works out to around 500 euros or 560 dollars annually on an average German salary. Now, what's interesting to note is that Germany's church tax actually started out as a way of separating the church from the state. I mean, the church tax is essentially a 19th-century phenomenon that was developed from principality administrations of churches. So there were churches that were essentially uh, under the direct financial control of different princes and, and landed uh, royalty. As that system uh, began to win uh, around the 19th century, then what you got was uh, the church is trying to find ways to, fi to have financial support from the local populations. They turned to uh, the state, not so much to finance itself, because that was exactly what was being replaced, but they turned to the population. The way to do it is basically to have the state collect from the population. So basically, the German princes didn't want to keep paying for the church out of their own pockets, so they tried to make the people pay for it out of their income. If I could jump in for a second... I'm a former Catholic Sunday school teacher, and I know a few things about this. Jesus said, Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and render unto God what is God's. I know in the Middle Ages, they introduced the concept of tithing, which is paying 10% of your income to the church, but that's not actually written anywhere in the Bible, and in my experience, growing up in the States, it was completely voluntary. That is God penetrating your heart, it's burning on the inside of you, and you need to make a vow of faith of a thousand dollars. Well, in Germany, it is compulsory to pay church tax if you belong to one of several religions. Now, these include several Christian faiths as well as Judaism. But there are only two churches that actually enforce their right to tax their members through the German Finanzamt, which is the tax department here. Now, those two churches are the Roman Catholic faith, who follow the Pope, and the German Evangelical Church, who are also known as the Protestants. And just to point that out, some Protestants also call themselves Anglicans in some countries, right? Right. And in Germany, church tax is big business. In 2016, the two major churches were paid over 11.5 billion euros, and it's increasing. Church tax revenue is up by about 40% over the past decade. That's despite the number of church members barely changing at all. That's partially because of rising incomes in Germany, but also because the officers responsible for collecting church tax are quite enthusiastic about making sure they get money from everybody who should be paying. They regularly send out questionnaires to people who haven't declared a religious affiliation, you know, just to check that they didn't make a mistake. And they also chase foreigners who move here. And if they find out you were confirmed in a church back home, They'll try and make you make back payments from the time that you relocated to Germany, although it's not actually clear if that's legit. Now, although church tax is compulsory for anybody who has been confirmed in a Catholic or Protestant church, you can stop paying it, but only if you commit an act with a terrifying name. Apostasy. 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 Apostasy is essentially it's a form of violation, violation of the divine commands. Quite literally, it's to stand behind, stand outside of the of the faith, right? It's the abandonment of the religious belief or the of the religious membership. That would be apostasy. In order to stop paying uh, church taxes, you would need to basically become an apostate. 
I actually did this. I went to an office. I had to fill out a form and pay 30 euros to exit the church. You actually have to pay money to stop paying money to the church. The process was uh, a little bit annoying, but it wasn't that difficult. Now, it's not too difficult in practice, but as Martin Gack told me, it's not the paperwork that causes the problems. It's the impact that that decision can have on some people's lives. You can see this very clearly, uh, you know, in much in very conservative communities, Christian, Jewish or, or Muslim, where, you know, the act of living the community is really considered to be one of the utmost subversions and, and acts against God. And that is where Lucas's dilemma begins. You might remember that Lucas's mother raised him in an alternative Catholic church. But something happened that caused her to become far more conservative. After her mother died, from one day to another, she changed her, her position. From being left, from being alternative, she went to the right wing of, of being Christian. And she believed on um, Mother Mary um, appearances, um, she, she read books about people who pretend to be in contact with Jesus and, um, and um, she started um, praying the rosary every day. Uh, she finished all relationships, all friendships with her modern friends and she turned her, her towards um, the conservative circles and um, in this time I also had my coming out and from yeah, one day or another um, it was really a big problem and she's really fundamentalist today I would say she's really fu fundamentalist last day when I, when I went home she said homosexuality that's the same as being pedophile or being uh, or, or abuse uh, children it's the same and it's my mother who is telling me this uh, to, in my face Last time when I went uh, to her, she said she prayed so much for me every day that she collected so many points on my account <laughs> that um, I have to spend less time in hell as um, I would have to do it without her as mother. And I should say thank you to her. So she said she's, she's loving the sinner and she's hating the sin. So she's loving me as the mother is loving her son, but she's hating the sin. But that's also what's making me, me angry. She's caring about me day by day, maybe hour by hour. She's praying so much and she's suffering. So why she's cho she's choosing this way of life? She, she is suffering. So her faith and her approach to the Christianity is making her suffering. So why she's doing it? And Lucas has to think about this every time he looks at his income statements, where it's written in black and white, how much money he personally contributes to the church via the state. And every time he does, the same thought goes through his mind. I quit this sh uh, institution because then I have a feeling that it's also because of this institution or because what the what the humans made out of it uh, that um, I practically don't have a, a healthy relationship with my mother. Uh, so... The church is the reason for that I, I don't have a, have a good relationship with my mother. So why I should stay in this institution, why I should support it anymore, why I should give some money for this institution, why? 
There's another major reason Lucas wants to leave the church. When we sat down to talk, it was just days after the release of a major report into child abuse in the German Catholic Church. It said that over three and a half thousand children were abused over six decades by thousands of priests in Germany. Few of the perpetrators were ever prosecuted. Yeah, when I read these reports, um, I was so I became so angry yesterday. For example, I really I, I started crying <laughs> with my boyfriend also together. I sat in the room, and this happens to me maybe um, twice a month or uh, three times a month, where I really say, "It's enough. I go. I will go to the." Uh, to the officials and I will quit. I will, I will, I will leave the church and um, I can't support this anymore. I become so angry. Now, it's important to point out that Lucas is not against religion. He still has strong spiritual feelings and he still believes in some of the teachings of the church. He even goes to church occasionally and he says that the sermons touch him. But he feels driven away, both by the church's attitudes towards the LGBT community and by the child sex abuse scandals. Now, that's the case for a lot of people who quit the church. So I pulled up some numbers about that. An online survey found that one in three church leavers were unhappy with the institution of the church. Almost half were unhappy about having to pay church tax. But only one in six said they were quitting because they did not believe in God. Lucas doesn't know which of those boxes he would tick. But although he thinks about leaving the church all the time, he just can't. I, I want to leave the church, uh, but I, I'm afraid, however. Because I have many problems in my family already with my mother and with, with her faith. And, um, and every time I'm at home, um, we have discussions and um, it's very, we have a very difficult uh, relationship. And I know uh, when I do the next step, when I'm leaving the church, um, this will double the uh, the trouble um, for sure. And um, I don't know if I have the power or even my, my mother uh, to, to live this next step. There's another reason why Lucas can't leave. It's got to do with a baby, a splash of water and some oil. You'll find out more about that in a moment. Well, Actually is a podcast from DW, Germany's international broadcaster. DW has a bunch of other great podcasts, like Stammtisch, a weekly discussion that dives into German politics in English. You can find them all at dw.com slash podcasts. This is Well Actually. I'm Elizabeth Schumacher. I'm Mara Bierbach. We're hearing from Lucas, who wants to leave the church, but can't because of his fragile relationship with his mother. Joel, how would his mother actually know if he does leave the church? Couldn't he just do it without telling her? He wouldn't actually have to tell her. His apostasy would soon be on full display in front of a church full of his family members. That's because if you walk out those church doors, the church slams them right shut behind you. You can no longer take communion, you can't get married in a church, and you can't directly participate in christenings or baptisms, at least not without pairing up with a practicing Catholic. How will your mother find out? She will find it out maybe already um, in some weeks when my twin brother has was Taufe. He has a little baby, and the little baby will be baptized. 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 
my twin brother asked me um, being the the godfather of uh, his little daughter once i quit the church uh, i'm not accepted anymore as the godfather of uh, the, the girl i am allowed to go to the ceremony but i need to to find a second godfather who is part, who who is part of the church like this my mother will find it out very easily so she'll see two people standing yeah Yeah, and she will ask herself why this uh, second person standing there. Why my son isn't enough? Does this happen all through the life that there's these events where it becomes necessary or clear? I don't know how how many uh, uh, sons and daughters my my brothers and sisters will get. Um, I don't know. I, I think in, in such a, a Catholic family, there's always a risk that uh, you are being discovered. And all of this is because the state of Germany is directly involved in the collection and administration of church tax. It's the state that makes you go and fill out the form to declare that you've quit the church. It's the state that tells the church you've quit. The legal basis of this tax is written into the German constitution. And in 2012, Germany's federal court ruled that you do indeed have to become an apostate in order to stop paying the tax. Now, this applies equally to German-born citizens as well as internationals who move here. When you arrive in Germany, you have to go and register your address with the local government office. And you have to get a tax number from the Finanzamt. And the many forms that you have to fill out include questions about your religion. As our religion expert Martin Gack found out, to his surprise, when he moved from Argentina to Berlin and went to register his address. One of the first questions I was asked is, what was my religion? And myself being Jewish, I thought it was a remarkable thing to be asked. Uh, you know, it kind of raised all the all the paranoid flags, so to say. And it's like, well, what, you know, how is this your business at all? Why should I tell you? I mean, you know, this is... And I think that most people can sympathize with the fact, German or otherwise, with the fact that, you know, religious commitments and convictions of that sort are something that belong, you know, either to the sphere of the private and in many cases to the sphere of the strictly intimate. I mean, it's something that you really sometimes do not discuss at all. Uh, so the fact that not only you need to identify yourself, but that uh, the fact that the state actually is keeping tabs for financial purposes, it's surprising. A, a dark reading of history and, you know, a more alarmist reading of the political trajectory that countries in Europe are taking might actually make that entire process a lot more alarming because what you have is essentially now a database of religious participation commitment, right? So now basically we know who the Jews are, we know where they live, and we know who the Christians are, and we know who is a Catholic, and we know who is a Protestant, and we know who is a Jehovah's Witness, and we know who is, you know, a Muslim, and we know who is a secularist. And, you know, in the list that I just gave you, um, I don't think that there is a single one that has not been persecuted in some case or other, in some country or other, precisely for just those kind of participations. And I think this is the deepest problem with the church tax. Today, everything is fine and dandy because we find ourselves in a certain context in which the political provisions and the, and the legal provisions are such that we respect that. But we don't know that it will always be this way, and we know that it has not always been this way. 
So let's hope it doesn't come to that. But even without reaching the worst case scenario, there are potential consequences for members of minority religions, even in today's political landscape. That's because you not only have to tell the state about your religious status, you also have to tell your employer. In many cases, in fact, the, the employer has the right to ask uh, what your religion is precisely so that they can actually do the job of calculating the taxation that has to be taken from your paycheck. But I think it would be quite easy to understand how is it that, say, in a very, um, say, Muslim-unfriendly community, uh, having your employer suddenly find out that, you know, you come from a Muslim Bosnian family, which no other part of your, you know, visible person would actually give it out, could actually be something that puts your maybe job, your income, or even your social relations in danger. Joel, time for a bit of balance? What about all the good things churches do? Well, you're right, Elizabeth. We asked both the Catholic and Protestant churches in Germany for an interview. Now, unfortunately, the Protestants were busy holding a big event, but we did manage to get a representative of the Catholic Church on the line. Matthias Kopp is the spokesman for the German Bishops' Conference. The church tax is a voluntary membership fee that every church member has to pay, if they earn enough money to pay an income tax. So that doesn't include all members of the Catholic Church in Germany. With the church tax revenues, which are still quite substantial, we are financing a variety of activities and institutions. For example, we step in when people are in need for help after a disaster somewhere, like the famine in Sudan or the war in Yemen. We support church charities and a big part of the church tax revenue goes towards education, universities, schools and kindergartens. He told us what happens when someone decides to leave. People have to quit the church at a state agency and the state agency tells the local parish about their exit from the church. There are no set steps every church takes when someone quits the church. Some parishes or dioceses write to the person to ask them why they quit. Several dioceses in Germany offer to talk to the person in order to understand why they are leaving the church. When someone quits the church, they are no longer part of their congregation. Whether the person can still participate in parish activities, well, I won't speak to that. Usually, though, something like a church funeral is no longer an option. Matthias Kopp says there's no connection between the state and the church because of the church tax. Rather, he says the church is merely paying the state a service fee for administrating its membership costs. It's a service that is provided by the state, and the state is compensated by the church for collecting the church tax. We asked him what he would say to someone who is thinking about exiting the church because they're angry about the child abuse scandals. Please try to talk to someone, a priest or a community outreach worker in your parish, in order to hear from the other side about what we are doing to work through what happened and the prevention work we are doing. I think that conversation is important. We also asked him what he would say to LGBT members who feel outcast from the church. We have many places people can come to talk about this. We don't want to exclude anyone from the church. DW's religious affairs correspondent Martin Gack also put in a word on behalf of the churches. The church has 
a lot of social service operations. So they have schools and hospitals and so on. These operations do serve in terms of education, health, social services, etc. do serve a sort of important role in the, you know, the life of not only church members and community members, but of citizens in general. And sometimes it's actually critical. I mean, sometimes these are services and necessities that are not supplied or not uh, filled by any form of state agencies or any other organization. And if the church tax was to be abolished, the state would have to suddenly step in and replace those services. And that's something which it is not prepared for. Martin also raises another point, which is that having the church and state close could be, in some ways, quite beneficial. There are ways in which the state and the, and the church having sort of a back and forth permits the state to modulate the political and social force of the church. I mean, this is something that you see with the Catholic Church in Germany, which has been pushed essentially by the political system uh, into probably one of the most progressive churches in the world. Which makes perfect sense because the German church is a product of the German political, uh, you know, ideary and, and, and imaginary. So, Joel, we've heard a lot about how Germany does the church tax. How do other countries approach this? Well, other countries that have church taxes do do things differently. So, for example, in Italy, you can select to have your money go to one of several churches or directly to the state itself. But the main difference elsewhere is that you don't have to abandon your religion or commit apostasy in order to stop paying the church tax. If that were the case in Germany, it would actually solve Lucas's problem because he could stop paying the money to an institution he doesn't wish to support without his mother finding out. And churches could raise money the same way they do in other places, which is by asking for it. If churches want to collect and if people want to pay into their churches, they should go right ahead and, you know, charge their their members and their members should go just right ahead and pay into their churches. I mean, uh, the state really um, should have no business in this. These are matters of political arrangements and political agreements. It also has to do with the kind of services that the church actually can provide uh, members of the state. So this is something that is open to renegotiation, obviously. But by and large, there has been very little appetite for the political class in Germany to really take up this issue. So nothing is changing anytime soon. And that leaves Lucas caught between three powerful forces. The church, the state and his mother. I'm, I'm surprised that uh, we have this uh, status quo in, in Germany. We are talking about the church and the state uh, is being separated, but in Germany I, I have a feeling that it's not at all like this, that um, you, are, uh, you have to pay tax to be Christian uh, uh, in an official way. So you, you have to pay money for, uh, for practicing uh, your, your, your belief. I think this is really something wrong in it. That my relationship to my mother is also connected to the state um, who would force me to do this step and to quit the church and uh, to do it officially, that's true and uh, that's wrong. So why the state has so much influence and uh, has such an important role in all this, um, yeah, I think that's wrong and it should be being changed. 
Thanks to reporter Joel Dolroy for bringing us that story. I remember feeling shocked when I moved to Germany and was asked my religious affiliation. It felt like such a personal question. I said none. It was only later that I learned what it was for. Well, Beth, I think whether they like to admit it or not, a lot of countries and political systems are extremely influenced by religion. And when we first learned about the separation of church and state in school, I thought of this in very black and white terms. But when you think about it, really, there are a lot of gray zones. Yeah, Mara, I think at this point, it's pretty much a cliche. And like most cliches, it's time to let it go the way of the dinosaurs. Yep. That's it from us at Well Actually for this episode. I'm Elizabeth Schumacher. And I'm Mara Bierbach. On the next episode, we'll dive deep into the rise of populist parties like the AFD in Germany. Think that the rise of the far right is bad for democracy? We'll show you that, well, actually, that's not always true. Far from it. If you want to reach us with questions or comments, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at dw underscore wellactually. Our email is wellactually, all one word, at dw.com. You can find show notes for this and for all our future episodes at dw.com backslash wellactually. We will be forever grateful to you if you subscribe to and rate our show on Apple Podcasts, because it will help more people find our show. This episode was edited by Joel Dolroy. Our producers are Christina Burak, Angela Key, and Andreas Kiefer. Our design is by Ilona Wendt. Well, actually, it's produced by DW, Germany's international broadcaster, in our studios in Bonn, Germany, the birthplace of both Ludwig von Beethoven and gummy bears. See you next time. <laughs>